The Koigig part. For me, it's difficult because if Chelsea aren't playing well or they need something to get someone to get them out of it, I don't think they have it. So I think they're in a difficult place. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now, welcome along. So, very happy to have Rory O'Connor of the Irish Independent here in studio. You're very welcome. Nice, Joe. And Gordon Darcy is with us as well. Good evening. Hey, Joe. Hey, Rory. Hey, Gordon. Holy moly. Hmm. That was uh, quite the game. I did not anticipate we might be talking about a win at Murrayfield as one of Ireland's greatest days. But that win at Murrayfield, Rory, is one of Ireland's greatest days. Yeah. In terms, I mean, when Andy Farrell, who has lived his entire adult life and even before that, from the age of 16, been a professional sportsman and achieved an incredible array of things across two codes and, and then went into coaching and has been a successful Lions coach and many other things, says that in terms of character, that was the greatest day of his career. Uh, or the best team he's, performance he's been a part of. It, it says an awful lot. And for so much, to, everything that could go wrong did go wrong and they still won the game against a team that threw everything at them. A team who, you know, with with their, their, their whole hopes and dreams were on the line. You know, they were probably, I thought Scotland probably edged the first half and they went in probably buoyant at half time. And yet Ireland were the ones that came out and broke Scotland. And did it with you know well trodden you know, everyone knows the story now of Josh van der Feer throwing at the line out and Keane Healy scrummaging at hooker but they still it, it bears repeating how unusual that was and how most teams will be thrown off track by it the mental strength of this team the adaptability Andy Farrell talks an awful lot about the, the no excuses mentality um, that they have and it's it's easy to talk about that stuff but to actually enact it um, and to do it regularly, to do it repeatedly, to get themselves in bad scenarios and come out the right side of them all the time. It speaks to the culture that he's built along with Gary Keegan and Paul O'Connell and all his backroom team. It speaks to a group of players that, like, I don't know if we've ever had a group of players playing for Ireland who have had this level of belief in what they could do. We've had great teams and great players before, but they seem to be unbreakable, which is obviously, you know, Touch wood, you know, because there's another big game coming this weekend and there's a lot coming down the line. But right now, you just have to sit back and admire them. They're, they're phenomenal. Gordon, even Andy Farrell and his insatiable desire for adversity. Even Andy Farrell said some way uh, during that 80 minutes, this is actually enough adversity. Yeah, I'd say, you know, it, it kind of, Ireland earned the victory on a number of different fronts. Um Scotland in in some way broke themselves trying to beat Ireland so that when actually Ireland f- kind of fell, I suppose, started, I suppose, creaking at the seams. Like I think when um, when Ronan Kelleher went off and Keen Healy came on and um, it was probably around 46, 47, 48 minutes um, just into the second half, Ireland and then Gibson Park came on and added that intensity. Scotland just didn't have another gear to go to where Ireland did. Um, so there's so much in that uh, belief that players give are giving each other within that squad is so impressive. Um, and you can just look for this, what Scotland brought on versus what Ireland brought on and the impact they had. Um, as much as it, just the, the guys who... Um, I suppose the guys who started the game, you know, brought that intensity. The guys who finished it, like they really did, they really did pull away from um, 
from from Scotland, and I kind of wrote that last week um, in the in the build up to this game. It's like, going, how long can Scot? It's it always felt like it was a question of how long Scotland could stay with Ireland, um, and would Ireland be able to pull away? And yeah, they 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 were. Uh, something I wouldn't usually do, but this was such a madcap game. Just to recap in broad terms the first half because I want to chat to you about about the first half and then we'll get into the madness of the second so this is a very broad summation but first uh, minute or two Scotland started well and then Ireland got on top so first 10 minutes is Ireland really on top there was the try that wasn't with one of the great uh, rugby laws Uh, I'm inclined to agree with Peter Romani when he said if they want to play with a new ball that's their problem but uh, it was Ireland's problem too Doris falls on his hip that first 10 minutes Ireland come away with three points there was um, yeah player bundled out touch by low and Ireland got on top. So it was 3-0. And then you would have to say, and we might pause here and you can give us your take on this, from about that 10th minute until 24 minutes when Peter Romani boots the ball up the pitch. For those 14-15 minutes, Gordon, uh, Scotland looked very, very good. They're stressing the Irish defence. They make steady gains from midfield to five-metre line. Stuart Hogg's put into touch by James Ryan. You might remember he helped Johnny Sexton out. And then Hugh Jones does score the try on 17 minutes. Dan Sheehan limps off 18 minutes. And Scotland come again for another four, five, six minutes. Now that period, I, gee, I'm thinking Scotland looked very, very good. They're getting quick ball. Um, was that down to Scotland being very good or was there something in the Irish D that you didn't love? No, it's Scotland being very good. And I think you have to, you know, we, we have to be very careful. Not careful. We just have to not get uh, completely confirmation bias and kind of, rammed up our own holes and go like we're we're if if another team scores against us it's because we did something wrong sometimes other teams will do their their build of play was absolutely uh fantastic um to paluto in uh in the center like he gives them such a, a such a balance in the as a second playmaker outside there his running lines his ability to straighten um so if you go even just go back and look at their, some of the build up play in that period you're talking about when he gets in that second line his ability to straighten up and then release the ball it really it really stresses defenses because they get stuck on their feet and that really hurt Ireland out wide and that's just good simple um skills and simple uh, passing ex- execution. Um, so I think they were really, for really good value for it. Um, they could have probably, I think, where they will look at it and go, that was when they needed to capitalise on what you mo- you would, in inverted commas, capitalize, qualify as a as a uh, defensive lull from Ireland where they were in the ascendancy, but they still only got one try in that period. So mm. for to be the, they're in the, uh, the moniker of, you know, the number one team in the world, you've got to be brilliant both sides of the ball. Um, and I think a player, you know, if you mentioned you've name checked him already, a guy who was really, really good in this um, in this match was Peter Romani. And I actually spent the first 20 minutes watching Peter Romani and I was kind of looking at him going, because he, he, and probably I'd be guilty of it as well. You, you don't give him necessarily the praise that he gets because you kind of go, well, what does he do? Because you really have to look for what he does. Everything, even from a line out lift that he gets the extra extra inch for uh, James Ryan to win a ball, to just being a pain in the arse at Rooks, to being that glue between two defenders that doesn't necessarily make a tackle, but he defends space. He was phenomenal um, in, in that game. And in that passage when Scotland were in there, he was everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I think Ireland just earned, they frustrated Scotland in that period. And then that's what I mean by, say, Scotland bashing themselves against Ireland, like almost that, you know, tied against the rocks kind of thing. And Ireland only creaked once. Um, and then when they had, to, when Ireland went again, Scotland didn't have an answer. 
And after that Hugh Jones try, as I mentioned, Rudd, uh, they come again, they're on top. It's a man, he does get that boot to a ball. One of those small things that in real time you don't think to yourself, that's hugely significant. But when you're watching the game back this afternoon and you know the flow of the game, you're like, well, that that intervention turned the tide, chased after it, Ireland get on the ball, Hansen scores that try three minutes later and suddenly it's 8-7 after Scottish dominance. And Oh man, he was amazing. But I, I know you started your recap at the the opening whistle. But I think do think we need to take into also account the atmosphere at Murrayfield yesterday. Um, it's not always the greatest ground in the world to go to for atmosphere, but they've done an incredible job. Oh, Aviva's come in for a lot of uh, criticism this year about the kind of build up and how they use music and stuff in the stadium. Ten minutes before kick off, there was a minute silence for Siobhan Caddick and the, the Scottish international who died. The stadium was full for it. There was no one late to their seats. The excitement around the Triple Crown within the Scottish fans was absolutely enormous. And also the anticipation around Stuart Hogg's 100th cap and the scenes with his family before the game were quite emotional. And the atmospheres were, sorry, the, the anthems were, were incredible. You know, when they cut the, the bagpipes halfway through Flower Scotland and it was building towards a real crescendo. And I think Scotland responded well to it. I don't think they were overwhelmed by the emotion or, or they didn't freeze given the circumstances I, I did speak to one member of the Irish background team who, who told me that they'd heard a lot of talk about the triple crown winning the stadium and that had annoyed them a little bit that there was a bit of uh, you know, the, the, you know what time was the presentation after the game for the triple crown that sort of stuff so I think they were using that to their advantage but for it's so Scotland being Scotland <laughs> well I mean Andy Dun- if Andy Dunn was here <laughs> he might say that, that. <laughs> Tom English is watching you said that well even two Piloto <laughs> celebrating in Hugo Keenan's face after the try who spoke to a little bit of what Andy Dunn was talking about and what we were all having to apologise for over the following <laughs> week you know but there's there were shades of 2004 in a game Gordon played in when, when Ireland made the breakthrough and, and, and won the Triple Crown against uh, against Scotland and, and, and a big moment in the development Gordon, of Irish rugby. Gordon doesn't like to mention 2004 when he was Six Nations Player of the Championship. Don't, <laughs> don't bring that up. But th- th- I think that all feeds more, into more what Ireland... I have to see pictures of me wearing rugby gloves. That's true. Yeah, actually, there's a, we get into that at the end of this time. <laughs> but th- th- that all feeds into what, that, what happened in, yeah. uh, over what we're talking about and the way... Um, it was one of those rare occasions where both teams came to the party. Yeah. That both teams played. I thought it was the highest quality 40 minutes between Ireland and Scotland there's probably ever been because Scotland threw everything at Ireland. Ireland had to defend really, really well to keep them at bay. Yeah. Ireland had their moments. There was a bit of, you know, Luke Pearce probably didn't have his best game. He probably should have yellow carded at least one Scott. But that fed into the fact that, you know, it was a bit of a homer ref. You know, Ireland were having, having to battle adversity. They were losing players here, there and everywhere. But when they got their breaks, like that Omani kick ahead, they went and made a pay and they took the chances when they were there. Now, they had other chances and they probably weren't perfect. It wasn't their best performance, but away from home, yeah. that speaks to, again, what, what I was talking about earlier. So uh, it was a difficult day for them to win and they, they won it. And that's one of the reasons I think it was more impressive. And, and again, Omani's key to that. Like that. He's a glue player. He's a leader. Yeah. Sex and the same to have those players in your in your back pocket is just so so important. That last ten minutes of the first half, so Hansen scores, Gordon, and then I suppose the story of the last ten minutes is both sides had their chances on thirty two minutes. Scotland and and I know you're saying they should have made maybe that that period earlier on count, but certainly in the last ten minutes of the first half, there was the Van der Merve decision not to pass to Hogg and Klein outside him. And then uh, Turner was put into touch by Porter just before the halftime whistle. And in between those big Scottish chances, uh, you might remember Ireland were up the other end of the field. That was Hogg slapping uh, Murray at the rook. And then, uh, you know, a referee says to Johnny, well, if your player asks for a yellow card, he might get a yellow himself. And Johnny says, well, I'm going to ask for a yellow. Um, And then Kelleher overthrows the line out. And for Ireland, five metres out, that's a big chance gone. And that's Mm. the first, you know, real obvious sign Kelleher's in 
big, big trouble with his shoulder. So, so both teams went into the break with those botched chances is maybe a touch harsh, but those missed chances are ringing in their ears and then Ireland had to um, try and figure out how to go about the second half. Sexton called that first half, Gordon, one of the toughest first halves he's ever played in. Yeah, and I think because like if you if you just tie in what Rory's uh, saying about this, Scotland came to play. They didn't. They didn't like there was there was a bit of chat or whatever. Like there wasn't actually. It was very un- uncharacteristically Scottish uh, build up to this, and that they weren't talking about winning without having necessarily earned earned the right. But it, it was they came to play, and they tr- are they arguably let their rug- have let their rugby do the talking this uh, Six Nations, um, and. If you look at teams that have attacked Ireland, they're the they're the game they're they're usually the to- the closest games that Ireland have been in for the last uh, the last twelve months. The problem with that is you've got to stay in the hunt and you've got to stay um, you've got to stay there for the eighty minutes, and that's where teams fall away because they're not used to playing at that level of intensity. So the ball in play is nearly at forty minutes. Right. Um, and that's something that Ireland. That's a that's a place that Ireland are very very comfortable in. So when when you when you put when you tie that in, so Scotland have thrown pretty much everything they have. They've got that emotion, the build up. Was Rory saying you can't underestimate that build up, the emotional thing they've come in. They didn't get overall. They've thrown everything at Ireland. They go in at halftime. They feel in a good place, but Ireland go in in a great place, and they come back out knowing they have second and third gear to come in the second half and Scotland are kind of going well more of the same where Ireland are going no no well, we, we, this is where we this is where we ratcheted it up and that's largely what happened <laughs> well what's well, what's truly brilliant about this from an Ireland thing and again not to get carried away but it's just enjoy the kind of the story of it yeah. is we did it without a hooker and um uh, what we did, we did it without a hooker on the field and a uh, open side flanker throwing the ball into the into the lineups and still maintained a hundred percent things. You go back even just one small thing, like Gert Small back in two thousand nine. He always talked about his area. Go like, listen, these are just ways to restart the game. You find you restart the game and then you find a way to win. And Ireland did, and the way they went, they shortened the lineouts and they just moved the ball away. It was it was it was it was lovely to watch. You would have been in the press conference afterwards, I presume. Mm. I'm seeing this line from Andy Farrell about Ireland laughing at halftime. Yeah. Is he meaning that literally? Yeah, I think because one or two of the players backed it up. I think he sat down, a big smile on his face, and lads, this is where we want to be. This is crazy, but it, like this is what we do. This is imagine you go and win it. Imagine winning it from here. You know, imagine having all this go against you and still winning it. He said, like, this is why we're here. This is what we do. So he's living the stuff that he's saying to us. It's not just press conference talk because it could easily be press conference talk you know it's easy to say it's hard, much harder to live um, it just sounded like it was utter chaos in there and they, what the big thing was they didn't they didn't know if Kelleher was going to be able to Kelleher was telling them he, he was okay but they could see that he couldn't lift his arms up but he was like no I'm going to try I'm going to try and they, they, they stuck with him so they had to come up with a plan then they had to ditch the plan because they thought Kelleher was okay they come out like Keane Healy's on his knees in front of us throwing line outs um, just in case Keller's on the pitch and Van der Fleer's thrown into the line out Keller's still scrummage but he's still in the def- he's still in the defensive line but he clearly can't lift his arm up you can you can see he's carrying it limply like Paul McGrath in, in Giant Stadium you know the, and yet he's playing test rugby and the, the great I mean the Scots must be looking at the footage today going how do we not run at him how do we not make that guy tackle? Did they not? No, I don't. I, I need to watch back much more closely to say they'd make, they'd make him tackle once, but I don't think they did. They didn't spot him at all. They didn't 
just kick the ball out. Did just get the ball off the pitch and make Josh van der Fleer, make him throw the ball 30 times in the second half. Because uh, he's not going to be able to nail 30 out of 30. He got 5 out of 8, which is really impressive, but yeah. you'll figure it out eventually. Did Keane Healy warming up on the touchline on his knees throwing lineouts? Might have given them, uh, you know, a heads up. Well, Josh threw the ball into the line as well while Keller was onto the pit on the pitch, so okay. they they should have known. And I think that I think John I think Ireland would have spotted that. And, and Scotland, if if they did, they didn't do enough to exploit it because they had seven or eight minutes there where Ireland were ba- effectively playing with fourteen. And actually, I think you're safer playing with fourteen than playing with fourteen plus one because the one can't do anything. So if you run at him, he's compromised. Yeah. So I I, I didn't I thought it was I spoke to a, a lack of street smarts from that Scottish team who have a very senior leadership team, a lot of experienced players who weren't able to exploit in a very obvious Irish weakness. Yeah. Um. And that's where they lost the game. And Townsend said it after his press conference. He said they almost felt like they, because of Ireland's problems, they just had to turn. They, they turned up properly for the first half. The second half, they felt like they just needed to turn up, and it would happen for them. Yeah. But Ireland made it happen for them, which is the difference. Gordon, give us your sense. Then you've been out there in the throws and the chaos of Test rugby. Should the Scottish players have very, very quickly spotted the lineout situation? Scottish management, well, I presume. Sp- would have spotted it. Where was oh, the what? What, ha- you know, what, sh- like, what should is, have happened here? Like it, it's so easy. And like I've been so spoiled with the teams I play in. It's 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 not even a like. I think what's pretty clear between uh, a gap between these two teams is something that, that Ireland have is is an experience gap. So Finn Russell is a phenomenal player that is arguably the best at playing the rules in the that are that we're playing that higher tempo game that we're playing in because he's such a existential threat with the ball in hand and everything we saw how how, how good he was but when he there's so there's two things there's then there's the game management of actually understanding and going how do I exploit a weakness that isn't necessarily two defenders in a show and pulling a, a phenomenal um pass out of the you know out, 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 out of the top drawer where Sexton would immediately be, okay, you know, that that's what the team sheet says. There's a guy who has only one working harm. We're going after him. Or if it's Connor Murray or Gibson Park or Peter O'Mahony, they're the guys who just go, well, that's, you know, that's great. Here's a guy who can't tackle. Let's just take easy yards over there. They would immediately go after that thing. And I've, I've played with guys like that. And it was Brian O'Driscoll, you know, Paul O'Connell, um, Sean O'Brien, people who just kind of go fundamentally on their rugby IQ is really high and I think that's probably one of the things in Scotland that they're necessarily missing because you don't you never plan for an opposition having a prop in the you know having three props in the front row and for somebody else going in at that like the fact that Scotland couldn't they knew Ireland had to throw to number two the fact they couldn't defend that shows the on-field the on-field leadership just just wasn't there and where the Irish one you know not not to say that the Irish was any better on the day but they the Scottish weren't able to expose it it'd be curious to know Gordon if messages were being screamed down from the coaching box they're clearly going yeah, to go to number two yeah but if messages are being screamed down you've already lost it you know, you've got, you know, somebody should have been made saying at half time going, well, your man looks pretty goosed. If this happens, you know, let's make sure to go after it. You'd think there'd be some sort of planning there. But this idea that you're sending, like descending on messages into a pitch to, a, you know, 15 lads who are blown out their hole and somebody going, it's such a subtle message to come on. You can give that message to one person, maybe, and say, listen, so-and-so is off. Can you get it? But like, their ability, unless you're the nine, kind of going, because I did see Ireland or Scotland were looking for Sexton in the short side a couple of times to try and get him to tackle. 
um in the first half they they seem to be kind of focused on him um to try and try and drag him into it um but then like they uh so they're able to do it they just yeah the messages feeding on i don't think is what was was ever uh, was ever something that was going to going to change that's that half vanderfleer's first throw rory on 47 minutes went over the back uh second throw went uh to number 1 front of the line out and it was interesting Hugh Kyle in commentary said well that's what they're just going to have to do mm. as Gordon says as well Gert Small just restart the game any way they can that's what they're going to have to do uh, what was your sense of what Scotland uh, did to curtail that they just seem to be a second a second behind and uh, like, look Grant Gilchrist is their line out leader he was suspended for the game and they lost Richie Gray after less than 10 minutes so they were but like Johnny Gray's a really experienced player and um, Cummings like they played together or they have played together at Glasgow I think and they're both good, they're both good players maybe they're not the line out technicians that Gilchrist is but I thought what what really impressed me about what Ireland did was the aggression of the players getting off the ground because we don't often talk about line-out jumpers. We kind of just expect them to do their jobs and we talk a little bit about the throwers um, because that is like, the, you know, it's the darts thing, the kind of, you know, trying to get all those moving parts together. But what Omani, Ryan Baird, James Ryan did was they got off the ground, they got across the line aggressively and they almost won collisions in the air to try and make sure that even though Van der Fleer's throws, which were pretty good, but obviously not at the same quality as an international test, Hooker would be that they claim the ball, they won the ball, and, and that's not something that they have to do that often. You know, they often just go up and the the ball is there on a plate. They bring it down, they play their game, and it's 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 a it's a lot of rep, reps and training. It's it is a skill. And, and were they borderline akin to France in Paris in last year's Six Nations coming across the line a bit too much? But no, I didn't think it was illegal. I just thought it was aggressive, and it was it was it was what they had to do because they had to win the ball. It wasn't. Dan Sheehan like 10 out of 10 every every time it was it was Josh van der Fleer's 10 out of 10 which isn't anywhere near you know and, and that's but it was something that they had to go and win and, and they were you know you don't want to say they wanted it more than Scotland because Scotland obviously wanted to win but they they showed an aggression and a desire and, a, and a, an understanding of the situation that they needed to go and dominate those spaces you get into the yeah. space win the ball and play and the fact that they scored off Healy win the penalty at the scrum van der Fleer nailing the line out and they score a try it was just the perfect summation of the way they adapted on the day. Yeah, it did strike me as van der Fleer started hitting Irish uh, hands from line out and Keane Healy managed the scrum, which we'll come to in a second. And they get the try off those uh, moments. Like the psychological blow to Scotland, they're overwhelming because Irish players, well, gives them parks on as well, Gordon. So their fitness is coming to the fore. These two ramshackle in you go and do your best lads are actually delivering in front of 60,000 at test level and they're scoring from it. I mean... Like just the, the the kind of psychic energy. By the time Lowe scores that second try in fifty six minutes, fifty six minutes, despite all the injuries, despite everything going on, it's game over, Gordon. Like I, you know what I mean. I, if you were in a mm-hmm. rush, you could have comfortably flicked off the TV and, and say, "I'll catch the rest later." Yeah, well, I think my kids obviously had some sort of. Uh, uh, link to it because they were suddenly asking me to get out in the trampoline uh, with them. Um, <laughs> But that's exactly it, isn't it? It's just like Ireland, they had a, you know, and it's also as well, there's a there's a kind of a, probably a frustration that would have run through the Scottish team that, you know, other positions probably looking in going, why aren't they, you yes. know, why are they losing, why aren't they winning the Irish line out? And maybe, you know, and that's, they switch off for a second and then the scrum and you're like, oh my, like that all, you know, lives rent free in the, in the, in the Scottish <laughs> 
mind whether you whether you agree it or agree with it or, or not. All those little things chip away at the at the opposition. So it's like like it's winning the it's winning the the the, the battle on the ground, obviously, but then you're also winning it most importantly up front. Um, that psychological damage of winning penalties at scrum time with no hooker on it is just it's it it goes so far. And then when you have the quality in behind and Gibson Park comes on and just sparks things and uh, low goes over. Like the body language of the Scottish players, you're absolutely right. It, it was it was done it was done and dusted, and like they mounted a you know a, a, an effort. You kind of go, oh, could they come back? But then you just started seeing passes being flicked in behind, and the that real intensity and accuracy and belief that was there was just it, it, it was just worn from them. And you could Ireland had worn had worn had worn them down. On uh, Healy's performance. Uh, Bernard Jackman writing about it on the independent website. So uh, he notes that the Irish coaching ticket and Ireland at large prepared uh, and had Keen Healy listed, which is crucial for, I presume, insurance reasons and, and World Rugby having themselves well covered. But he's listed as someone that can professionally play all three positions in the front row. Uh, I would suspect after the Italians going into 13 men last year that all of World uh, Rugby looked at this and, 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 and tried to prepare uh, because I think that day somebody was saying on the Italians part, I can actually play there, but it, yeah. you weren't listed on paper as being cleared to, therefore you can't. So uh, Bernard Jackman says, very rare in the professional game, obviously meant Ireland didn't have to go to contested scrums and drop to 14 men. And he said this gives Healy massive advantage over Dave Kilcoyne going forward. So what he says of Healy's performance, most importantly, he lists out several things in terms of the bind and how uncomfortable it might be for prop to go in at hooker. But he says, most importantly, and the hardest thing that Healy would have needed to master was how to hold your balance and to balance the seven men who are all behind you like coiled springs. He said the hit's gone out, uh, but there is pressure on the hooker to balance his scrum pre-engagement through using his break foot. And we did see at one stage the it was a close up on, on getting your foot forward, the break foot forward. So when the referee calls bind, the hooker must keep one foot in front of the other. This foot acts as the break for the scrum. This is to reduce the amount of force being transferred from the pack uh, through the hooker and uh, onto the neck of their opposite number. This is after studies about the damage which has been done to hookers necks. So we're now seeing the break foot. Uh, Suffice to say, even if you find all that very uninteresting, if you're not a fan of the scrums, uh, Rudd, there was a lot going on there for Healy. Yes, and you got to remember that this is a player that eight years ago nearly had to retire due to a serious neck injury like before the 2015. He, him getting back to the 2015 World Cup was heralded as an act of great courage and eight years on at the age of 35 he's he hasn't played hooker unless he got thrown in there once or twice for Leinster which I don't even think has happened. He hasn't played there since he was 18 at school for Belvedere and here he is coming on having been left out the last day. He hasn't played in the Six Nations yet because of injuries. He, he strolls on and just like wins two scrum penalties and is annoyed with himself that he that he knocked on the top penalty at at, at the end that he you know he, like he didn't nail it like he hasn't done that in training like I, I'm sure he's jumped in a hooker the odd time if they've listed him there it would be irresponsible not to at least run him there once or twice but they don't have an awful lot of training time so you'd imagine while Josh van der Fleer is throwing the ball in a couple of times of training he hasn't done that very often and for Healy to do that as well um, you know he wouldn't have done an awful lot of reps of training he, like he plays tight head as well so he, he's, he's practicing that he's down as all three which is an incredible asset to have when you're talking about going to what would be he would have gone 11 as well so this would be his fourth World Cup you know so like what a phenomenal career and a, you know a little bit 
not forgotten because he's he, he is an all-time great Irish Irish player, but because he's become a bench player to Andrew Porter in the last couple of years, is it? And his role has diminished a little bit. He's almost fa- faded away, and I wondered whether he might not quite make the World Cup in the last while because Kilcoyne has been picked ahead of him, and because he is thirty-five, and you do see with Leinster sometimes he's not making the impact. But what a statement! Yeah, and Farrell keeps going back to him, and there's got to be a reason behind that. And for him to do that, I think he's inked himself into the World Cup squad absolutely because what like because having him on that bench gets you out of a hole doesn't often happen but when it does it could be pretty important it could be in a quarter final it could be a red card injury you know we've seen it twice in the last year in Ireland games um, the Van der Fleer thing as well I think is a result of Luke Howe and Dickey getting yellow carded in the last 10 minutes of England Scotland last year and Leinster watched that and said you know what we need to have a, 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 a fallback option in case we don't have a hooker on the pitch so Van der Fleer who threw a bit when he was under 20s or has always trying to mess around throwing at, at training was was charged with getting your throwing up to scratch so you can do it if we need you mm. and lo and behold 18 months on or two years on or a year on Ireland needed him in the game to save the Grand Slam Yeah I mean look I can generally in my life accommodate their superiority to me on a whole host of levels these lads but when Andy Farrell revealed Van der Fleer took up golf three years ago and is now single figures I thought I'm done <laughs> like I'm done with this guy I'm no longer a fan of him uh, you'd know Healy obviously Gordon at close quarters that's a, a really lovely day for him after an extraordinary career yeah, yeah. Like, well, geez, he's, he's as uh, he, he, we're not we're not we're not singing his we're not doing his epitaph yet. But, but he has he has well. been picked out as somebody who, understandably, given age, has slowed down very much a touch in the last eighteen months. I've I've heard yeah, questions no, raised yeah. about his ability to make the World Cup and is it a year too long, etc. Yeah, and listen, like uh, I know that particular uh, chapter <laughs> uh, exceptionally exceptionally well. Um, so don't don't worry. But I, I think. Yeah, like we just park that for a second and yeah. like listen, there's an awful lot to happen between here and there. I can just imagine that chat with Kean going, listen, can we list you in three positions? Yeah, no worries. Okay. Like that's a guy who just backs himself time and time again. There's one thing, like there's an awful lot of things. Strength in the front row overcomes an awful lot of technical issues. And you can put an awful lot of things into that. Like he's been there in the cold face, uh, understanding that balancing leg. And yeah, like there's, you, you can overcomplicate it as well. Right. He's probably had it. He's had plenty of time with John Fogarty to go like, listen, if this happens, this is what you do. We'll do a little bit of thing. He is as strong as an ox. And that's one thing that hasn't diminished in uh, in, in the in, in the last kind of uh, two years. And that was pretty much on display. He had the technicals, has the technical bit, was able to go into it. But he just would kind of go like, yeah, listen, no problem. I can see it. And you can see the typical Keen Healy, the church, which is like, yeah, no worries. Mm. Trots on and does exactly that. Just like pops in as if he's had loads of experience there. And like the week that, and the, the time that they've, the amount of reps he's had, if he's had any, has been nominal enough. So um, it doesn't surprise me at all, though, that that's the outcome from Keen because that's just the type of guy he is. He just, like, just backs himself and, um, and backs himself and delivers more often than not. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a very short break. Gordon Darcy, Rory O'Connor, uh, staying with us. Back in just one second. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. You're welcome back. We're picking through the weekend's rugby. We'll come on to England-France in a few moments, not least with a view to Dublin uh, coming. Our rugby coverage is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. Rory O'Connor of the Irish Independent here in studio. Gordon Darcy is with us as well. Um, should mention in passing Johnny Sexton level with Ron O'Gara, all-time uh, 
points list in the competition, Rory. I mean, do nothing in training, put your feet up, do a light, light, light warm up and then just like, first chance you get as captain, no, we're kicking for post. Drop goal. <laughs> first trip to the 22, drop goal. Uh, just nail it. Get it done early. It's so precarious. I mean, odds are he'll do it, but I mean, from his perspective, it's like, jeez. He's not like we've asked him about a couple of times, and I I do believe him. That's I don't think it's even on his agenda. It's just something that's annoying him really that he keeps getting asked about it because he's such a team team first guy. And like it'll obviously when he retires be quite special to him that he you would presume he will get off the mark at some stage at the weekend and will break the record. And I'm sure it will give him some satisfaction that it's Okara's record as well. But uh, think of what what else is on the line on Saturday. The chance to win a Grand Slam in Dublin. Yeah, never done it before. You know, 48 was in Ravenhill. You know, obviously none of us remember that. Then you know the two the the two most recent ones were both away from home. Patrick's weekend, his final Six Nations game. Like this is it. This is the last Six Nations game he'll ever get to play for his country. He's not kind of carrying on whatever speculation he kind of invites by kind of not answering questions. Like, like it's pretty pretty sure that he's not going to be there again. What a way to finish a great career. I know there is a World Cup to come, and and uh, but to, to round out your Ireland career at home. Yeah in this tournament that has meant so much to him and has given and he has given so much to as the top scorer we, we, we hope he gets there as well because he, you know he's he's put himself in that position for, for injury to stop him getting there would be an awful yeah. awful thing it's, it's not going to happen um, I, like, I think it's one of those like the Grand Slam will mean so much more to him once they get over the line you know that's that's the, that's the thing that um, he's focused on and uh, you know what a career, you know, like to be still doing it at the stage that he's at it. I know we've probably said it a million times in here at this stage, but it's it's incredible. And he's still such a driving force. He's still so committed. He's still um, you know, badgering referees and jockeying the team. Like Conor Murray threw that pass when he wasn't, when Sexton wasn't looking and he absolutely yeah. balled him out of it. He's still balling out. Like how many times has Conor Murray heard, <laughs> seen that stare and heard those words? You know, he hasn't, nothing's dimmed. The fire hasn't bur- is still burning as bright as ever. So it's uh, it's pretty pretty impressive. And it just, it's another thing that he has to manage and that Ireland have to manage this weekend. I, I do believe there's not going to be a blimp. There's not going, there won't be a, a big goodbye, farewell like there was for Brian. I think that, that that's not, not, maybe that's not, I don't know, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's Brian's style either. I think he was a bit embarrassed by it as well, but I, I don't believe there's going to be a big farewell, but um, Grand Sam will have to do. Yeah, an insane amount resting. Uh, on 80 minutes for Sexton and, and how few players get to sign off uh, certainly to Dublin in that manner with the World Cup to come admittedly uh, Gordon just to, on the, the mindset um, you know it's, it's it's striking at all times when Scotland are in a you know a, a less organised huddle Ireland are in a huddle uh, breathing very deeply with their eyes closed uh, just before he scored the try uh, James Lowe sliced an exit uh, under no pressure and held a hand up to say sorry and it was interesting he took a moment to close his eyes take a deep breath uh, I suspect none of this is especially new I remember Rushing McConville uh, you know turn of the century he'd pick up a piece of grass and throw it over his shoulder as a reset if he made a mistake on the pitch it's 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 kind of interesting that none of this information is new and yet not every team is is committing to it it, it does seem whatever's going on with their psychology to be an extra layer in their armoury at the moment yeah and it's it's like geez you're getting down a potentially down a big rabbit hole so there's a couple of things to unpick on that what's your team focus at the moment like Ireland are in a very good position where they're able to actually focus on their mental side of the game because the actual nuts and bolts of their game is not a work in progress and there's not many teams you could say that so they are actually able to go because when you think about it, right, it's it is that it's that almost that battle between good and evil going on in your head, right? So when you do something good, um, 
it's trying to switch off from it and not let that impact the next thing you say. Because it was easier to do that because you're kind of going, oh, you know, next play, next play. You're focusing. You're always trying to be present on the on the in the moment. When you've done something well, it's arguably it's 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 easy to refocus onto the middle. When you've just had done done something poorly, that's the one where you're going. That's the, where the, the mental toughness, resilience actually kind of creeps into because you're kind of going, okay, I need to forget about that because. That's done. It's nothing I can do can ever un, undo that. But I need and I need to be able to let it go. But that is in inherently is the challenge. So when things are going well, it's very very easy to let go of a of a, of a mistake because you've you're in a team like everybody who's making a team there has earned the right to make a mistake and nobody looks at them and nobody judges them and they're kind of going and they can believe each other when they go they've made a mistake so they can just draw a line under it and go along and that's that cue the physical cue Dushy McConnell throwing a piece of grass some people used to click a fingers Richie McCall I think used to stamp his foot or something there's all these the little cues that uh, players can can run through yeah when things aren't going well imagine trying to do that now if you're in a uh, in the English uh, on the English pitch, where it's mistake after mistake after mistake, or pressure or brilliance by the opposition, and you're trying to, and everybody's making mistakes, where you generate, where you try and not carry that with you, and that's when, that's when pressure really, really tells because you can be, and I've been on the receiving end of that in Twickenham, where I've made a mistake and trying to go, like, I remember trying to like pick up a picked up a breaking ball and tried to go for a drop goal of all things in Twickenham and getting blocked down. And I remember trying to apologize and going like, yeah, like nobody buying what I was selling on my own team. Um, so it is a really, really funny uh, thing, but it's really, when it goes well, it's so powerful. Yes. Um, that that trust and thing that generates around players. Yeah, they're in a good place with it. No, I, I did a profile on Gary Keegan at the, at the weekend, Saturday's paper, and, and the breath work is attributed to him. And I, I think the work that he's done since he's come on board, I, I rang a member of the Irish staff on Thursday just to say, come here, I'm doing, doing this profile. I don't want to overstate or understate this. I want to get it right. He said, he, I would, you're not understating it. He's had a significant influence on what's going on in there. Um, before this tournament, Danny Farrell said, the biggest area of growth we have is in the mental space of the game. Uh, Keegan came on board. You know, he previously worked, set up the Irish um, high performance unit in boxing. Gold medals followed. He was involved with Dublin. You know, the the breath work that he's doing with Ireland is very similar to Kieran Kilkenny or Brian Fenting raising that right hand in the maelstrom just when something's gone wrong for Dublin, and everyone taking a breath, everyone taking a pause, and restarting and going again. He, uh, Finley Bealham said before he put uh, Hugo Keane through to the try, he he took a deep breath, he cleared his mind, he stayed present, he gave the pass all down to Keegan like the influence that he's had since he's come on board has been phenomenal and I think it's really a credit to Farrell for being open to it I, I rang Neem Sheedy for the piece and he, he worked with him in, the, for 20, in 2019 uh, for Tipperary they worked together on Sport Ireland board and he, he asked him to come on board he said it was the first thing he, he did when he took the Tipperary job was ring Gary Keegan and bring him on board and he said he watched the documentary about Ireland uh, in New Zealand at Christmas and he said Gary Keegan's fingerprints were everywhere his his stamp was all over that team so I think he's had a big influence on the on the setup behind the scenes they used to work with Enda McNulty I know Gordon worked there for years and it went really well until it didn't and then and they got a bit thrown under the bus after the World Cup along with Joe Schmidt in the review they didn't have anyone doing that role for about a year when they had a bad 2020 he went to Keegan he brought back Mick Kearney the manager and he appointed O'Connell and the upward curve along with from all three of them has been huge ever since but um, he's got kind of the silent presence behind it all um, he's a really big big figure Yeah it's really interesting I, and Gordon as you were speaking there I just found myself remembering when Phil Mickelson famously at 51 
won the US PGA, oldest major winner in uh, history at Kiwa Island. Uh, before every shot, he was closing his eyes and taking deep breaths, akin to what we're seeing from the Irish team now. And it was because his game was in such good shape, he could lean into the mental aspect and enjoy the mental aspect. Down the years, as Phil has sliced it out of bounds, he's not closing his eyes and taking deep breaths. And so it, it's it's the cherry on top. But when all the other stuff is in good shape and you put that cherry on top, I mean, it is an, an asset. And I would think as well, there are other teams like akin to Chris Eubank looking over at Steve Collins thinking he was hypnotised. There are other teams looking over at this Irish team doing their breathing and thinking, what voodoo is this? What's going on over there? Because, you know, it's just in the ether on that pitch. But I think it's important as well. It's not a nice to have. It's a fundamental building block. So you've, and again, it's the deep hole as you can go as, you can go as uh, far down as, as, as you want to. So Ireland moved from a position of being where they were told what to do to asking players to think. So much more potential for individual errors. But when you talk about the psychological safety that goes, so you're encouraging players to make mistakes to get better. You have to then balance that out with their going, well, you need to be able to recover from errors quickly. And that's where this whole, the mental resilience, the mental approach, what Gary Keegan brings in is they're going, okay, you have to be able to make that mistake to understand how to get better and then to not make the stake, mistake in the future. So that's the balance that they rode for for so long. And now we're getting to see the results of the fruits of their labor, the investment they put in that. So being able to go, because the, the alternative is that Finley Bielham gets really up and then flings the pass and it hits Hugo Keenan in, in the face. Yeah. Um, so he's having that ability and that, uh, I suppose, that belief in the process to go actually just relax because fundamentally, right, and this is a, a kind of a principle in any sport, if you take isolated skills, Finley Bielan can pass a ball at the same, you know, difference and Tyg Byrne and Tyg Furlong and all these guys can do it as well. And all their Welsh and Scottish and English and French counterparts can all do it as well. But what separates them is their ability to do it under the most intense pressure at the right time. And that comes down to up here, not your physical ability to pass a ball. And that's what separates them at the moment because they're in that really good um, headspace. Yeah. Um, Andrew Porter did an interview over the weekend, Sunday Times. Great interview. Talked about his eating disorder and his issues. And uh, he did just towards the end, it was buried in the final uh, column. He talked about how when he used to go to Carton House under previous management, he was counting the speed bumps on the driveway in because he was so tense, stressed out by the atmosphere and now his fiance jokes, you can't wait to get in there. You're happier there than you are with me, you know. So he joins the long list of people who are really enjoying themselves right now. Uh, the injury situation, uh, I, I don't know about you, Rory. I don't know about you, uh, Gordon, but looking at Gary Ringrose in that half sitting up position with his hand in the air uh, was chilling and you were all you feeling terribly for him and you were thinking of his family. Andy Farrell, thankfully, afterwards said they'd been texting the family and he was open talking, so that's great. Uh, I presume he's he's out for a period now, Rory. Yeah, yeah, he was still down for a while. I, I he had you know he got another bang and the bang another concussion on on the New Zealand tour as well. He missed like he's now missed a series of cider in New Zealand, and he's going to miss the the Grand Slam decider in Dublin. And what an awful shame that is. Hopefully he'll be. I mean, I presume he will be able to come to the game and he'll be well enough to take part. And if you know if there's celebrations to be had that he'll be able to enjoy them to some degree but what a shame that a player has been such a fundamental part of this campaign won't be able to be there on the pitch but we know I the can't nature, see him playing for Leinster for a little while, little while do we know the nature of the injury? 
no, they haven't. They've they said he's he's doing well. That's the the the, the extent of it. I think we, we you can safely say he's passed. Sorry, he's failed his, his whatever assessments he's done, and he's going into like they they're really really careful with with brain injuries at the moment with Ireland. I think they're 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 leading the front on that. If you look at what they did with Doris with James Ryan, um, sending him off to specialist in, in Birmingham, making sure that they're 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 completely right. They've stood down. Doris Ryan and Sexton at different part periods. If they feel like they need to stand Gary Ringrose down, they'll prioritise the firstly his well being and also his ability to recover long term because they've got they want like Gary Ringrose to be, like Gary Ringrose is an asset you know to them for, for the next five six to seven eight years. So they want him to be able to play on. They don't want they won't rush him back and um, yeah. I don't think we'll be seeing him in blue for a little while. Hopefully they give him as much time as he needs and 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 they have shown it. At, a willingness to do that with players over the last couple of years so um, that, that that is good he's not alone Ian, Ian Henderson will miss it as well he's broken his forearm he was already in a cast leaving Murrayfield yesterday um, the, I was surprised Kelleher's in he's in, in camp training it sounded to me last night like Andy Farrell was ruling him out because he said it was a quite a similar shoulder injury to the one he suffered in Paris last year which ended the season maybe the, the x-rays may have not shown up as much damage Dan Sheehan they were pretty happy that there was no damage to the shoulder they've done x-rays and they've come up clear so there's a bit of hope that he'll play and Doris they say should be able to play as well he's got a hip pointer in, injury and um, obviously that's you know, the, 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 he's in training. It depends on whether he's able to get back on the pitch quickly enough. I mean, Jack Conan was unbelievable. unbelievable. So you're not as worried about these things. You know, like it, th- there was a time these injuries would be the dominant thing of the whole week, but you kind of feel like anyone they put out there is going to do a job the way they are at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Gordon, I, something I want to ask you. That whole um, adage, cheek to cheek, you know, you're uh, cheeking on your face to the bum cheek of the opposition player in a, in a moment like that where Ringrose makes the tackle. Does that still very much hold and that's endured and that stands I ask because Ringrose is immaculate in, in almost everything he does and his textbook and yet certainly in the last year two years I've, I've noticed he's prone to putting his head the other side the, the, the groin side of uh, a ball carrier Racing away this season in the in the European Cup definitely did it and I don't know is, is he just sacrificing himself to, to make the tackle regardless or is it a technique thing or is it maybe much harder to time than I'm allowing for? What What's your player's understanding? Yeah, of I think it is, it is. I think it is much harder to time than you're giving it, giving it credit for. I yeah. think a great player makes it looks easy, it makes it look easy. Um, and he certainly does that. I think one of the things is we've asked players to tackle lower. And I think Gary is an exemplary example of somebody who is taking low, is tackling lower. But he's also pushing the envelope, I'd say, physically in his tackle entry. So he is trying to go low, but is trying to maintain a bit of momentum into it. And I think that's probably where the margin for error falls, where that last step or two, or maybe even just step in, you might not not lunging, but you're looking to accelerate in and any change then from the defender will you know, it changes the point uh, a little bit. I, like I wouldn't say it, it, it it's a uh, increases the risk, but it's it's just an observation of his of his tackle technique that he has gone in. If you look at the tackles that he's done when he's going through that line, he, you know, when he, he got bigger, that was probably, you know, he had the timing done on that. But consistently for Leinster um, and for Ireland, that acceleration, but the tackle entry is around that belly height. Um, but he is looking to make as much of an impact as he possibly can. Okay. Well, we wish him well. I mean, he's he's an mm. incredible player and, and conducts himself so well and you just hate to see anybody injured like that. Grand Slam game, 
Johnny Sexton's last uh, competitive game in Dublin, St. Patrick's weekend, England. There are so many ingredients ahead of... Uh, you'll be getting text messages for tickets, put it that way, Gordon, uh, is, is going to be the flow of this week, I think. Um, England against Wales, I thought, were putrid and just kept kicking the ball away and didn't want the ball. And then their kicking game against France, I just didn't understand what the hell was going on. In amongst however other many problems you want to mention, Gordon, like, are they going to pitch up at Dublin and just continue to kick the ball to Ireland? Because that could be a rout. This is uh, there's an untangible or like, how do you prepare for this? Like, if you look across there, try to do a defensive analysis on them, like they're so um, schizophrenic in, in what they're doing. It's like a different approach every week. Um, just wonder how much they're... Uh, regretting the uh, letting go of Eddie Jones because one thing you do get with an Eddie Jones team is you don't get this type of um, lacklustre performances. And I know they even the last time they had a, a poor Six Nations, they were building to something. It's hard to see what this group is particularly building towards. And, you know, you just, um, I'd say there's some uncomfortable uh, question marks being raised internally. Um, the script kind of writes itself, though. Doesn't it? You know, the uh, Owen Farrell back in at 10. Um, we don't have to, we don't have to build for anything. We just have to win a game, try and get a physical, try, you know, Sinfield will probably come into the four this week and by defense and try and just go, let's pick some big, some big blokes will probably come back into the, into the team and they'll go even more into the English DNA and try to come over here and try and physically dominate Ireland. Um, and I think there will be, they will probably get some joy from it initially. Um, you look at the type of character Farrell is, players respond to him. They always have. Um, the question mark will be how long they can stay with Ireland. Um, in much, in, it'll be a very different challenge. They're not going to come to play against Ireland because if they do, they will get beaten at the gate. Um, but they will come to try and, geez, try and slow down and try to disrupt and try to, just win a match anyway. They, they take it 3-0, um, but that's not how Ireland plays. So um, there's two very different approaches this week and mm. um, we will be living, we will be in the English English psyche this week as much as um, we'll be given, they, they will be a respect for them coming to Ireland. We will be very much in their head and I'd say this, while the script for England writes itself, very much for Ireland going we need to we need to expose any frail they will want to expose any frailties that exist in the English mind. Yeah. Fifty three ten was uh not just a record Six Nations defeat at Twickenham for England, it was a record defeat full stop broke the South African and that try should have been disallowed as well. Uh because Farrell was holding Aldrich on the ground, uh where uh when Freddie Stewart runs through and okay. Aldrich the guy who tackles him. Okay. It's ruthless, okay. Gordon. So, you, couldn't even give them you couldn't give him the 10. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the line of tournament, as, as we you know looked ahead to Murrayfield and England and Dublin, was, well, wait and you see, it might start off a bit redundant and basic, but by the time they come to Dublin, they'll at least be in a more coherent place. And actually, uh, to use Gordon's line, they're, they're schizophrenic. Uh, Borthwick doesn't know which 10 to pick, what they're trying to do. Uh, I don't know. I, I like it's it's they've won competitive game until the World Cup. Look, everything we know about sport is that things happen. You know, unpredictable things happen. Think of Ireland upsetting England going for a Grand Slam in two thousand and one, two thousand and eleven. You know, the I know, 
the gap between the teams in 2011 was nowhere near as big as it seems to be now but in 2001 it, it would have been seen to be to be that way and, and Wales and Scotland have done it over the years and we know you know that it's kind of flipping the narrative of kind of the plucky Celts stopping the the big English behemoth at the end end line and it's maybe a mark of how far England have fallen that even that's their motivation this week but like this Irish team have just disproved all of those old cliches you know the, the, you're, you're believing in magic really like you're not thinking about re- the reality of where these two teams are France and Ireland are so far ahead mm. of everyone else in this tournament it's not funny and for the English team to be picking themselves up from the floor after playing against France and looking across the looking at next Saturday and going God we're playing them like that must be terrifying. Now that fear is a good is a motivator. Fear of another humiliation is yeah, a motivator. Yeah. Pride is a huge motivator. They are good players. They come from strong clubs. A lot of them have done an awful lot in the international game, and they must be, um, they must be just willing this tournament to be over and just get into back to their clubs, finish their season, and maybe come in and do something for a World Cup. But they've got to pick themselves up. But it's such a hard, such a distance to travel to to come from that far back against France to beat the world's number one team who are playing like the world's number one team. It's not like Ireland are falling towards the finish line. Ireland are, yeah. you know, are, are play, you know, should have had four bonus points try uh, bonus point wins in a row. You know, but for James Ryan, you know, very unfortunately throwing a, a poor offload at the end of a massive gallop or Keane Healy botching a, a tap penalty. You're looking at four you know, 20 points from 20 in a Six Nations, which would be a remarkable return. You're nearly going for the perfect grand slam. It's a 14 point spread in the bookies at the moment. I wonder if Ireland England's ever been 14 points before. It's huge. And I think Akion underplays the gap between these two yeah. teams as it stands. Ireland will tighten up. They'll be getting ticket requests all week. They'll be getting excited. They'll have to manage a whole new set of emotions. But Johnny Sexton was... I asked Johnny Sexton about this in the press conference yesterday and like the Leinster players have had a few big final defeats in the last couple of years, some of which at the hands of some of these players at Saracens. He said, well, we won finals as well and we went to New Zealand last year and we had a final there and we turned up and we played. Mm. And that's their mindset. Mm. I can't see it anymore. I really thought this was the one where Ireland might slip up, but you know that was old, old narratives and 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 witchcraft. It's like in the real t- terms of professional sport, there's, there should be no way England could beat Ireland unless there's a red card or something goes yeah. horribly, horribly it's wrong. It's possible, for of course sure. it is. Well, it happened yeah. in Twickenham last year, but um, both I can't see equal. It, yeah. all, they, they could play really, really well and still get beaten by ten points. Uh, we do, by the way, as we wrap up. Of a brilliant uh, prize, so uh, I mean, the the interest in tickets is going to be off the charts. Uh, we want to send you to the Aviva this Saturday. Pair of tickets to Ireland rugby jerseys, all with thanks to our rugby partner Vodafone to get your name in this evening's draw, and it is a draw this evening for this prize. Just identify tonight's mystery voice who was livid the Banshees of Inisherin and missed out on best film last night. A missed opportunity, and um, you don't get too many opportunities to stop them doing something that was pretty special. Who picked that? <laughs> of all the voices to throw in there, that's the, I don't know, it feels like there's a message in that somewhere. 53106, the text number, hashtag team of us, and uh, send in your answer, and uh, you're in the draw for two tickets to the Grand Slam game on Saturday. Rory O'Connor, Irish Independent, thank you very much. Nice job, cheers, Gordon. Gordon Darcy, pleasure. I'm sure you'll be writing about Thanks, this guys. in the Irish Times during the week as well. Thank you. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us